Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you are indwelling every one of us here that is converted and that um, you have uh, given the gift of your Spirit to. And I ask, Spirit, that you would um, animate us this morning, fill us with all of the emotions and thoughts and truth that you want to fill us with so that we are enlivened to God this morning. Lord, I know that we can be weak and we can be tired and we can even be dull just to God's presence in our lives. Sometimes because we're just human, sometimes because of sin, and so I pray that you would use this time just to awaken us, um, alert us to your presence, and help us to enjoy you during this time and speak to us um, corporately and individually. And so do your good work. Ignite your word by the power of your spirit into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 29, starting in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now, this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant, Bilhah, go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. 
Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, and afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So many ways to start. <laughs> Option one, wow! <laughs> or like Kate said to me this morning, baby wars. <laughs> Starting option two. God is at work in your world. And God is at work in your heart. I hope you had some time this past week in your groups of three or as a family or on your own to apply this reality, even from last Sunday's sermon, where we saw that God was at work in Jacob's world. Now, in Jacob's world, it was a little harder to see, right? Because God wasn't necessarily saying to Jacob, hey, Jacob, go to the well. And he wasn't telling the shepherds, go to the well. And Rachel, go to the well. He wasn't setting up that meeting. It was, it was being done. God was at work. But Jacob kind of forgot about it. He kind of forgot about God. And so even though God was at work, it's a little bit harder to see in the story last week. We could have chalked up last Sunday as a coincidence, right? It just so happens that they all met at the well. Well, in this week's story, there are no coincidences. God is clearly at work. And he is at work in Leah's world. He's at work in Leah's heart. He's at work in Rachel's world. And he's at work in Rachel's heart. Or maybe I should better put it this way. God is at work in Leah's womb. God is at work in Rachel's womb. See, the fact of the, the matter is that this story right here is really bookended with God opening wombs. So that's why we're trying to cover it this way. In verse 31 of chapter 29, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And then look how our section ends in chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and listened to her and opened her womb. So this whole section really is about God working in their world and specifically in a way of opening their wombs. And as we see this chapter really unfold, we're going to see God working in their world and God working in their hearts over and over again. And so those are kind of the points we're going to go with this morning. I'm not going to get through this whole section because it's too much for one Sunday, but we're going to focus mostly on Leah this morning. So I just want to begin by just drawing our attention to this reality that God is at work in Leah's world. In fact, this story, Moses, our narrator, Jacob and Leah, all give credit to God, that God is working. I mean, this is just a God, compared to last week especially, this is all about God at work. I mean, all the credit is being given to God. So Moses begins in verse 31 of chapter 29, and he says, as a narrator, that God opened Leah's womb. And then Leah's going to testify five times that it's God that's the one who is prospering her and giving her babies. So in verse 32 of chapter 29, when she has Reuben, she says, it's because the Lord has looked upon me. When she has Simeon in verse 33, she says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And then if you look at chapter 30, verse 17, she says, God listened, or it says, narrator, God listened to Leah, and she conceived. And verse 18, it's paired together. She gives birth to Issachar. God has given me my wages. And then in chapter 30, verse 20, 
Zebulon is born, and she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. So she has given all the credit to God for the birth of these babies. And then Jacob does the same thing when he has this spat with Rachel, because Rachel's not having babies. And so in chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, Jacob says, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So I just want you to see this chapter is completely God-centered, God-saturated, God's getting the credit. Jacob, Moses, Leah, all giving credit to God. And I think we can just stop for a moment, and I think it's good to do this every now and then, and to be reminded that no baby is ever born apart from God opening a woman's womb. None. So you're here today as an adult. We're only here because God worked in your world. And if you're little here this morning, little guys, God brought you here. God worked in your mom so that you are here today with us. And this is just a reality that we see in beautiful poetic form in a psalm that's very familiar to many of us, Psalm 139, where the psalmist cries out, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were, that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And all I want to do is draw your attention to the fact that God here says that he formed you and he formed your days. In other words, he's at work in your world, and he's at work in your heart. God is at work. You are not a coincidence. God has it planned for you right now to live where you live, with the family you live with, in this place, because he's at work in your world. And I hope you have confidence in that this morning. So here in Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35, we see God at work in Leah. He's working in her world, and she's giving credit to God for that. And she's got four kids in these couple of verses, which can make us just read them and move on and not realize how many years you think probably went by. At least four. And that would be pushing it, right? So five, I don't know, six years have gone by, which means those are six years for Leah. And what God is doing, and I want you to capture this this morning, is God's work in Leah's world is meant to accomplish God's work in Leah's heart. So there's something going on in these first little verses, the end of chapter 29, where God is not just working in her world, but he's doing it because he's at work in her heart. He has things he wants to accomplish in her heart. And so point number two really is this, that God is at work in Leah's heart. I, I try to wrap my brain around what it would be like to be Leah and to live not just the years prior to having Jacob as a husband, but then the six or seven years that we've just read where she has these four baby boys. Certainly these were years for her that were filled, filled with much hurt and much pain. I mean, first, she grew up as the overlooked daughter, always second class, so much that even Jacob did not want her. In fact, no one wanted her. And that is why Laban had to pawn her off as a bride substitute. 
She spent her entire life really in the shadows of her sister Rachel, who was attractive in every way, beautiful in form, stunning, greatly desired. And then think about these seven years that have now ticked by as she's watching Jacob labor and labor and work so that he can marry her sister. I mean, she had to be thinking the whole time, why is Jacob working so hard for Rachel? Will anyone ever work for me? I mean, she had to think, does God see me? Does God even know I exist? Does anybody know I exist? And then she had to live with the, I'm sure, confusion and guilt and shame of lying to Jacob in the wedding tent out of obedience to her father. I'm sure there were emotions and thoughts she battled every day. And that she was only being loved, really, by Jacob at all on the wedding night because he thought she was Rachel. I mean, this is sad. It's sad and sad and sad. Look at verse 30 of chapter 29. It sort of sums it up for us. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. In fact, we go on and we read in chapter 31 that she was hated. She was hated probably by Rachel and by Jacob. And according to verse 33, she knew she was hated by Jacob and Rachel. It seems this paints a picture of a young Leah who is crushed in spirit, rejected by everyone, unloved, hated. She describes herself as afflicted. She's in deep misery. And if she were sitting here with us this morning or maybe in your group of three and you were to talk to her, you would have noticed that she is depressed, hopeless, feelings of worthlessness, confusion, and shame. It would be hard to talk to her and to try to identify with what she has gone through. And so what does God do? How does God respond to someone who is rejected and hated and in misery? Well, I love what our passage tells us God does. You know what God does to someone who is rejected and in misery? It says he sees them and he hears them. He sees them and he hears them. Look at verse 32. Leah says, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. He sees me. And then verse 33, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. He hears. So how does God respond to someone who's in this situation? Who's feeling depressed, discouraged, hopeless, feeling worthless, rejected by everyone. Here's how God responds. He hears them and he sees them. He sees them and he hears them. He saw Leah. He heard Leah. God saw Leah that she was afflicted and rejected. God heard that Leah was hated. And God heard Leah, I'm sure, weeping over the pain that she dealt with every day. And listen, this is, this is no isolated incident. If you're familiar with God's word at all, this, this is the heart of God. I mean, this is the very heart of God. God hears and sees you in your affliction. Now, I know that in a room with just this many people, some of us would say we're living in some kind of affliction, and some of us might not. 
But if you were living in any kind of discouragement, downcast, brokenhearted, feeling insignificant, overlooked, you need to know this morning that God doesn't just see and hear Leah. He hears and he sees you. He hears you this morning. He sees you this morning. You are not overlooked. And listen, this is the op- isn't this the opposite of our culture and how our culture does things? We look at and listen to who? I want the powerful person, right? I want the successful person. I mean, as a culture, we are drawn to the, the talented, to the rich, to the famous. We want to praise and honor and follow on Instagram and ESPN+, Plus. those who are athletic, beautiful, talented, gifted. We love famous. We love the goat, the best actress of the year, the best songwriter of the year, the sexiest man of the year, Forbes business person of the year. We want victory. We want success. We want impressive. I was thinking about this when I have thought at times about writing a little biography of myself to put on our website. People get to know me. And it almost makes you want to throw up. Like, I don't want to say, I stink. I'm slow. I'm not, like, if I really want God's attention, I'm going to put on the opposite of what most people would want to put on their biography, right? Because who does God draw to her? He's drawn to her. And this is what God does. He flips the world's way of doing things upside down. God is not waiting for you to do something impressive before he will look your way. Do you believe that? God is not waiting for you to impress him before he's going to hear you. He's not waiting for you to lose 10 pounds, get a new hairdo, or make three figures at your new job before he's going to give you attention. He's not waiting for you to be the super mom or the greatest dad or the successful business person or to get straight A's or to finally even overcome that sin you've been struggling with for years. Listen, God's eyes and his ears are turned to the unattractive, the overlooked, the insignificant, the brokenhearted, the outcast, the rejected, the failure, the poor in spirit, and yes, even, thank goodness, the sinners. That's where he looks. And that's who he hears. And so Leah here is just one example of this. Just one. I hope that encouraged you this morning. Because as I think about my walk with God, I can often think that somehow I must do something to get his attention. Something impressive. But that's the opposite of what God is actually looking for. And so we see that in Leah. And by opening Leah's womb, she knows that God saw her and that God heard her. In fact, with each baby, that's what she says. I, I, I was seen in my affliction. I, I know I've been heard because God is giving me these babies. <laughs> and so God sees Leah, and God hears Leah, and then God works in Leah's world as a way of working in Leah's heart. Because there's something deep down in Leah's heart that is deep down in your heart that God wants to get at. There's something going on deep down in Leah's heart, and it's very similar to the same thing. It's deep down in all of our hearts that God wants to unearth, and he's going to unearth it in Leah and expose it for us to see and for us to enjoy so we can enjoy Leah in her freedom. So even though Leah knew God, saw her, and heard her as a result of having the four babies— it didn't accomplish what she craved, right? She's got the babies, but the passage tells us it's not what she ultimately wanted. The babies were meant to serve a purpose. 
So she thinks, God hears me in my misery. God sees me in my misery. And so he's giving me babies to accomplish my goal, what I want. And so she tells us what her goal is after Reuben is born in verse 32. She says, now my husband will love me. Now he'll love me. And then when Levi is born, she says in verse 34, now this time my husband will be attached to me. She see God as blessing her and hearing her, not just to show her that he's with her, but so she can get what she thinks she really needs, which is the love of Jacob. So yeah, babies are important to her, but there's an end goal, and that is I want my husband's affection. I want his love. But God has a greater work to do. God wanted to give her something that would bring her satisfaction and worth and value beyond the love of a husband. And beyond having kids, something else that she should prize more than both. And it looks like after the birth of Judah, baby number four, in verse 35, she gets it. Where she says, this time, baby number four, this time, I will praise the Lord. This time, not like the other times. The other times, I wanted the praise of Jacob. This time, I'm going to praise the Lord. In the past times, I was doing this and and responding in a way because I wanted Jacob's love. This time, I'm going to praise God. It's like God had done a work in her heart. We don't know how. We don't know how it all went down over those five or six years of birthing these four boys. But God worked in her heart in such a way that she realized that what she really needed was for God to love her. For God to be for her. She knew at this point what she really needed was to praise God. And I don't know where you are in whatever affliction or trial you're walking through, but I want to encourage you this morning, because you may be thinking, what I'm walking through right now, I still want this, and I'm not so sure I want praising God, because this seems more important to me, that this was a process for Leah. I mean, this, this is grace, right? This is, this is what we give to each other. This is what we see in Leah. The patience of God as these years rolled by, as she's going to God, going, get my husband to love me. But then over time, she realizes that's not what she needs. What she really needs is to praise the Lord. And so God gave her something that the love of Jacob and babies could not give her. And that is a heart full of praise to God for seeing her and hearing her in her affliction. Seeing her and hearing her in her affliction brought about the praise that her soul really needed. Now let me do a little side note. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, nor is this story teaching that the love and affection of a spouse is not a wonderful thing. Okay? It is a wonderful thing. After all, God created Adam and then Eve and said it's not good for them to be alone, and he brings them together. But the love and affection of a spouse, children, are not more significant than praising God for seeing us in our affliction. I mean, that's what it's saying. I think that's what God's showing us about our hearts. I thought about this week. I'm like, okay, I get up each day with cravings, things I want to do or things I want to accomplish, things I want to have. And there can be wide varieties and they can change every day. As I'm reading this, I'm going, you know what God is saying here? What my soul needs, if I'm going to make what does my soul need today list, top 10 list, it seems like the top thing on the list is for me to praise God for seeing me and hearing me in my affliction. And 
to acknowledge that all the blessings in my life are meant to show me that God sees me and hears me so that I will bless him and praise him. Does that make sense? That seems to be how things are functioning, how blessing is functioning in this story. And that the result is praise to God. So at the top of your list of needs, (laughs) we've got a lot of them. I think the one that needs to be near the top is praising God for all of his blessings that prove he sees me and hears me. That's what happened in Leah's heart. That was the change, the switch that happened in Leah's heart. So this is really God's ultimate aim behind blessing you. Are you blessed this morning? (laughs) I am very blessed this morning. And the ultimate goal of all of those things are meant to produce praise in my heart to God. They in themselves are not to satisfy me. So don't stop there. So the ultimate goal of marriage, of children, of sex, food, sunsets, pets, homes, music, hobbies, are meant to reveal to us the magnificence of God, the creativity of God, that God is alive and active, that he's, he's blessing me, showing me that he hears me and sees me by pouring all these things down on my life so that I will say he sees me, he hears me, and I will praise him. See, I think there's too many times in my life when I don't think God is at work in my life or in my world. I don't think he's at work in my heart, and I can miss what he's doing. Because I want him to do certain things to accomplish certain goals for me instead of seeing what he's already doing. And I think that's what God's doing here for Leah. He's opening her eyes to what he's doing. So with every blessing, we should hear God proclaiming, I see you. Every blessing, I hear you. It's God's way of acknowledging you, that he sees you and that he hears you. With every blessing, we should praise God, proclaiming, you hear me, you do see me. Don't look at your life as coincidences. Receive each blessing and respond to them with, God sees me, you see me, you hear me, God. And with that, I think we'll find a deeper satisfaction in God, a deeper joy in God. And I think all experiences we have on this earth that stimulate your senses Your touch, your taste, your smell, your sound is meant to produce some kind of praise to God. I've said this before. I hope it doesn't get old. But when I eat prime rib, when I eat the pretzels that Abigail's going to make me today after, (laughs) the effect of that should take you to God. It should take you to praise You should smell it and taste it and savor it and say, what kind of God would create food with these flavors? What kind of God would create food with these textures and then give me teeth to chew them? What kind of God would give me taste buds to enjoy them? What kind of God must he be? He must be a God who sees us and hears us. He must be a God who is near. He must be really creative and really amazing. Otherwise, It would take that kind of God to do something like this. It's meant to result in some measure of praise to our God. See, the things on earth should not go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things on earth should go gloriously bright as they help us to see and enjoy God and all of his blessings. 
and all the things he pours down onto our lives. So I would like to suggest a two-step soul dance for you this morning if you are afflicted and downcast. One, be captivated by the blessings of God. Be captivated by them. And then praise him for them. Don't look to the blessings to give you what you crave. Look to the blessings to help you get to the God that you crave. Use them as a vehicle to enjoy God and to love God and to experience God more and more. So back to our story. I mean, in this case, babies at times do draw couples closer together, which is a beautiful thing. But ultimately, the baby is meant to produce praise in the heart of God, praise to the heart for God. And I think Leah got it. She got it. And one of the reasons I think she got it is not just because she says in verse 35, this time I will praise the Lord. But then it curiously ends with, then she ceased bearing. It's kind of an odd thing. What do you think that's all about? It seems like that's like the explanation point on the end of, the, of, the end of that part of the story. She sees bearing. She doesn't need kids anymore to try to get love from Jacob. She's free. I mean, that's a, that's a moment of freedom for Leah. She is finally set free. Free from craving Jacob's love. Free from a life dominated by an obsession for something that will never satisfy her heart. Instead, she is now praising God instead of looking for praise from her husband. Do you see the difference? She's looking to God. She is praising God rather than looking to a husband to praise her. Listen, if you put family in the place of God or your kids in the place of God or your spouse in the place of God, you will be decimated. You will end up crushed in the end because they will never do for you what only God can do. Now I want to wrap things up this morning by just letting you in on a little secret. It's something that Leah didn't know at the time. You know it. She didn't know it. To some degree, God's people knew it when they got this letter, when they got this book from Moses as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. But she doesn't know it. And the little secret is this. She's going to have first a son named Levi. And out of Levi, what's going to happen? All the priests are going to come. Not out of Rachel. Out of Leah. And then there's this little prophecy in Genesis 49, verse 10, where Jacob is blessing his sons. Now, Leah probably heard this maybe if she was still alive. And I bet as... Jacob was blessing all the sons that she was listening for the ones that were hers, that were getting the blessing. And so then it gets to this one in Genesis 49, verse 10, where Jacob pronounces this blessing over Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall the obedience of the people's. I thought we had that. We have that slide? Nope, sorry, my bad. Genesis 49.10. Here's the bottom line. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
Who holds a scepter? A king holds it. Don't spoil the fun, Paul. <laughs> a king holds a scepter. Who holds a ruler's staff? A king. Who gets tribute? A king. Judah, you're going to have a forever king. A king where the scepter will never depart. And I'm sure Leah, I believe she was alive at this point, she heard that. So, whoa, there's going to be a son in my family name that's going to be the king forever and ever and ever. And it doesn't just mean David, but another king that Paul already told us about. And his name is King Jesus. His name is King Jesus. Now, here's the dots I want to connect this morning. It is through Leah and the line of Judah that King Jesus comes. It is through a rejected, despised, hated, and afflicted woman that the eternal king of kings will come. Not through Rachel, but through Leah, the rejected one, the despised one, the afflicted one, that the eternal king of kings will come. This, my friends, is a picture of the gospel. And this is a picture of how God works. Leah's life is a picture of how God saves. Leah is, let's, let's connect the dots here, Leah is hated, she's despised, she's rejected, yet through her salvation is going to come. Do we know anyone else who was rejected and hated through whom salvation comes? I mean, this is a picture of the gospel, God works. God works through rejected and hated people, and ultimately that is seen in Jesus when he comes. Salvation comes through him. And then there's another little dot that I saw this week. I think this is accurate, although I couldn't find any commentaries that I tried to find to see if they would agree with me. But I find it very interesting that Leah has no outward form or beauty so that anyone would be drawn to her. And then there's this little verse in Isaiah that says about Jesus, he had no form. We have that one, Callan. He had no form. That word form is the exact same word that is used for Rachel. When it says Rachel was beautiful and had a beautiful form, assuming that means Rachel, I'm sorry, Leah did not have a beautiful form. And here's the same exact Hebrew word. He had no form or majesty that we should look to him. I mean, just think about Leah as we read this and Jesus simultaneously. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I'm sorry, but the parallels to Leah are too strong for me to pass this up. And not to say that it's a picture of how God works. Salvation doesn't come the way that we would expect it to come. If it came the way the world said it should come or thought it would come, it would be all about us being good, impressive, important, spectacular winners. And yet everything in God's word that brings us through the pathway of salvation has to do with the rejected, the not beautiful, the ones who don't have form, the despised, the sorrowful. And that's exactly what happens here with Leah. And then in the future, through her offspring, Jesus, the king of kings. You see, if Leah were here this morning and she were in our gathering and you pulled her aside to talk to her, maybe she came to your group of three and you were going to discuss with her her sorrows, and she shared her heart with you. And you said, Leah, I want to share something about who Jesus is, what he's done, or what he will do with you. I want to speak Jesus to you. 
Oh, how easy it would be to pull Leah aside and to say, Leah, Jesus can identify with you. He had no form or beauty or majesty. No one desired him because of his appearance. And Leah, Jesus knows your rejection and he can sympathize with you because he knows what it's like to be rejected and hated and despised. See, Leah and Jesus have a lot in common. And I have a feeling that if we think about ourselves rightly, or maybe you're in a time of affliction, you have a lot in common with Jesus too. Because the one that Jesus is looking to are the ones that are like him, lowly in spirit, maybe feeling rejected, hurt, hated. I don't know your situation. But you need to know this morning that whatever you're walking through, Jesus' eyes are on you. He hears you and he sees you. And he was despised and rejected and afflicted so he could bring salvation to those who are despised and afflicted, which is ultimately you and I and Leah. See, God's work in Leah's heart didn't stop when she realized she needed to praise the Lord. God's work in Leah's heart happened when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose from the dead, and when Jesus ascended to heaven. And that's when the real work was done. That's when the final setting free was done in her life. So this morning, as you think about whatever it is you're walking through, whatever it is you're going through, I want to encourage you to consider a couple of things. One is, are there places that you are looking for satisfaction or love that God did not design you to find it in? How are you doing at giving praise to God for all the blessings, even in the middle of your hardship and affliction? And may our hearts learn, even this week more, how to have the, the dance in our soul of recognizing the blessings, even in the middle of our affliction, and then turning to God with praise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends this morning, and I ask very specifically for those who are afflicted this morning, who are suffering, who feel maybe even despised or rejected by different individuals, that you would allow them to have their gaze set on you, that you would comfort them this morning, that you would give them a very fresh experience of knowing that you see them and you hear them. May they know they see you, that you see them this morning, that you hear them this morning. And Jesus, we thank you that you were afflicted so that in our afflictions you could draw near to us as sinners and care for us and meet us. And so do that, I pray. Even as we sing this song, I pray that you would pour your spirit into our hearts and bring comfort where comfort is needed, hope where hope is needed, joy where joy is needed. And may we all learn what it means to see our blessings and not look to them to satisfy, but to praise you for them. Meet us in that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, as Matt was preaching, um, I had a verse that came to mind as well. We weren't sure about 
when I was going to share it. So if you saw me whispering to Kayla, I was <laughs> now's the time. Anyway, um, James 1.17 says that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I had this picture of um, those twinkly lights that we see around Christmas time, where you see them like at restaurants and how they bring, you know, just kind of the ambiance to the season and how magical they are. And how these blessings that we receive from the Lord are like these lights that we have following to the Father of lights. But in the night, we don't ask, why is it so dark? Why is it so dark and scream at the darkness that's around us? Um, Because that's where the light shines brighter. And as Matt was talking about the afflictions that we see bringing and leading us to praise, the affliction helps us to see the light. And it leads us like the string of lights to the Father of light, who's the giver of every perfect gift, in whom there is no variation or change, Um, So that's what I wanted to share.